Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. My son Isaac, it is his birthday today and he turned five. And uh, we had a good morning this morning and it was uh, a little bit hectic at our house and we had a party between church services and man, we had a good day. And I was thinking about Isaac. Do you know on Facebook, uh, on that, uh, you've got that feature that says on this day, do you know what I'm talking about? And so it pops up with all the different pictures that you posted on that day. Now, not surprising, it's Isaac's birthday has always been today. So um, it popped up with all these memories of, of these photos that I'd taken and posted about Isaac. And I was looking at him. We have three children. So Isaac is our, uh, our middle child, and he is uh, our most uh, probably emotional child. Uh, he is the one that will definitely give the best and the most hugs. And uh, he, he's, just, he's just awesome. And so anyway, I was looking at these pictures of him and thinking about uh, him as he has grown up and, you know, what are the kinds of things that have begun to shape who he is? And do you know what I honestly think? I think that words shape kids, you know? It's like, you know, what you say to them, how you treat little kids. You make such a big impact on kids in the first five years. And I was thinking about the kind of words that, that shape him. Now, I'm by no means a uh, perfect father. You can ask my wife. She will comfortably verify that for you. So I am not a perfect dad, right? But I will tell you something that I just nail. I mean, I, I get this. I do this so well, all right? I tell my kids I love them every day. Every single day, I tell my kids how much I love them. And I do that, and they're, and they're like seven, uh, five as of today, and uh, Eliana, she's just one. And, and even now, when I say that to them, they just roll their eyes and they look at me and they're like, Dad, you tell us this, like every day you say this to us. And I say the same thing back to them every day. I say, yeah, but you know why I say that? And they say, yeah, yeah, we know. So we never forget, right? And it's so important that they never forget that because the next most common phrase that I say to them is, would you please listen to me? And I would hate for, would you please listen to be the dominant thing that they think of when they think of their dad? They're like, how does your dad feel about you? Well, he's always telling us to listen to him, so I guess that's how he feels. So I have to kind of balance it out by saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, because I'm often saying, oh, geez, for the love of God, just please listen to everything that I say. And poor Isaac, you know, he's the middle child. So I have this older, uh, he has his older brother, uh, Judah, who's seven. And Judah is such a mature child. In fact, so mature that he tries to be dad as well. And so oftentimes I'll tell Isaac to do something and then he'll come along and just tell Isaac to do something else. So I come back and I look at Isaac and I say, what are you doing, man? He's like, well, Judah told me. And I'm like, ah, why would you listen to him? He's like, well, he told me, you know, he's my older brother. So I listen to him. And I have to say this. I say, well, I don't really care what Judah says. I say, I'm your father. Listen to me. My opinion is the one that matters. I'm your father. Listen to me. Don't listen to Judah. Listen to me. I'm your father, and it's my opinion that matters. And I feel like God says that to us all the time, you know? But doesn't God say that to us? He says, I'm your father, listen to me, it's my opinion that matters most. And I feel like God says that to us often, because often we listen to the opinions of other people. And I want to tell you a story tonight about a guy who listened to the opinions of other people. And his name was Saul. And there are two main souls in the Bible. One in the New Testament. This guy is from the OT, the Old Testament. He was a king. He was actually the first king of Israel. And so let me give you the rundown for this story so I can just bring you up to speed so you know exactly where we are at in this story. 
So King Saul, being the very first king, his job was to basically outwork everything that God asked him to do. That was what he was responsible for. And he had the, this prophet, which is a person who hears from God and then speaks on behalf of God. And he had the prophet Samuel, and the prophet Samuel would come and he would speak uh, to Saul and tell Saul the things that God was saying. So one day, Saul comes to Samuel. And he says to him, I just heard from God and he wants you to go ahead and destroy all the Amalekites. And I know that sounds pretty low, okay? But the message gets better from here, okay? So he says, I want you to just wipe them out, wipe out all the Amalekites, like just kill everyone, like get rid of everything, leave nothing alive, none of their sheep, none of their oxen, like just, it's as if they never even existed. And it's his job to go ahead and do this. So Saul goes into battle. And when he goes into battle, they go and they, and they uh, have this fight and, and Israel, they win. And when after they win, um, he, instead of deciding to kill everyone, uh, he actually kept the king alive, King Agag. And he kept the king alive and he also kept the best sheep and the best oxen. Because that was, I mean, that's worth something, you know? So he kept the best sheep and the best oxen. And so he didn't exactly do what Samuel had told him to do, which is essentially what God had told him to do. And so Samuel, who's not really at this fight, because he's not going to war, you know, he's, he's somewhere else. God comes and speaks to the prophet Samuel. And he says to him, hey, listen, while you've been chilling out back at home here, uh, King Saul did not do what we asked. Remember, remember when I told you? And Saul, Samuel's like, yeah, I remember that. And remember when you told him? He's, yeah, well, he didn't do it, Samuel. And Samuel's like, that is so I'm so disappointed in him. And, and same as God. In fact, God says something, which is, you'll hardly ever read this anywhere in the Bible. And, and, and God says, I regret that I made Saul king. I mean, it's not very often that God does something like that, but he says, I re regret that I ever made him king. And so he says, Samuel, you're gonna have to go ahead and deal with this. So Samuel goes to meet Saul and they have this epic battle, this, this confrontation of words, this sort of word showdown, and that is exactly where we join the story tonight. So if I can have that first slide, guys. I'm, nope, we're going to go back to the very beginning. All right, here we go. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, we're going to begin in verse 12. It says, And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he had set up a monument for himself. Isn't that an awesome idea? Just to set up a monument for yourself. I don't know if it counts if you do it for yourself. Like if somebody else did it, it's like, you're, you're a big deal. But when you do it for yourself, I don't know. Anyway, he sets up a monument for himself and he turns and he passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That's the first thing he says. Does that strike you as odd that that's the very first thing? He says, oh, um, hi, Samuel. I did everything that God asked me. Does, does he not look guilty to you? It's like he's trying to sort of get past that point straight away. And he says, blessed be you to the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, uh-huh, really? Okay. Um, then what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they, not him. Come on, this is not Saul's fault. This is the people. He says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Isn't that funny that Saul didn't say the Lord our God or the Lord my God? He says, oh, no, no, the Lord your God. He says, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you know they're just lying to your face and you just can't deal with it anymore? And as their mid-sentence, you know, you know, stop, 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 stop. I, seriously, I cannot listen to this anymore. And then he just lays it down for him. He says, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And so Saul said to him, speak. Samuel said, though you were little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And why did you pounce on the spoil to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Sam, Sam, 
Sam, what are you talking about? I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on mission, on the mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, it wasn't me, <laughs> Sam, it was the people. The people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, and the best of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, get this, this is what happens. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. I wanna preach a message to you tonight, totally, utterly enough. Totally, utterly enough. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for every single person that's sitting in these seats right now. And God, maybe they're here tonight, they got dragged along, it's their first time, or they don't even know why they're here. But God, I believe that everyone who's here tonight is here for a purpose. They're here to hear something that you wanna say to them. So God, I pray that tonight our hearts would be open and that we would listen to everything that you wanna say. God, ultimately, we want to be transformed and changed by what we hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How you measure yourself matters. How you measure yourself matters. And maybe you didn't realize it, but the truth is you measure yourself in some way. You measure yourself. There are things that are important to you, things that you value. And because of the things that you value, you measure yourself in those areas. That's why you try to get better at something. That's why you try to improve at something because it's important to you. And you measure where you're at and because of where you're at, you say, I think I can work on this. I think I can do better. It comes back to really what you value. And what you value is making decisions inside yourself. So in here, in your, in your heart, there, are, there is something that's inside of you that's driving the decisions that you make. It's making you do some things and not others. It's making you say yes to some things and not to others. It's making decisions for you. And here is the surprising part. You may not even be aware of the things that you value. And because of that, you may not even be aware of the things that are driving your decision-making process. Man, if money is important to you, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if money is important to you, that's gonna begin to guide and direct your life. It'll determine the things that you say yes to. It'll determine the things that you say no to. Maybe the job that you take, maybe how hard you work. If your marriage was important to you, if you're here and you're married, or your relationship was important to you, it wouldn't be just something that you would just say, yeah, it's important to me. It would be something that you work on. It would be something you put energy into. It would be something you put effort into. You'd be reading blogs. You would sit down with your spouse and do the five love languages and learn which language your spouse is. And then you'd try to love them that way so that they can be you know, loved how they wanna be loved. I mean, you would go to the energy and the effort to learn that. Why? Well, it's important to you. And because of that, it's driving you to make these decisions. I wonder if you know tonight, as you sit here in this seat, what really drives you. I wonder if you know what's really making decisions for you, what's really pushing you one direction or sort of pushing you the other. King Saul had things that he valued in his life that were probably hidden from him, things that he didn't really even realize were there. But those things began to make decisions for him. They drove Saul to the point, the king, they drove him to the point where he was willing to lose his position, where he was willing to lose his prominence, where he was willing to give up his kingship. I mean, I, I, I read something like that and I think to myself, what could be of such great value to the guy that has everything? I mean, really think about it. Here is a guy that has everything. What could be of such great value that he would be willing to lose his kingship and everything that comes with that 
just to have it. He looks like he's got everything. There's obviously something he still wants, and he wants it more than anything else. How many of you uh, in high school uh, had to play sport? Just raise your hands with me. All right. Some of you skipped sport. Wow. Okay. All right. So you know what they, this is what they often do. They say, all right, we're going to, uh, we're doing sport today. So we're going to have a couple of captains and they call out two people and they become the captains. And then they say to them, all right, well, we want you to choose who you want on your team from this group of people. It's your class. And we want you to choose who you want from this group of people. And so then they have to make a decision. Now, the person who gets picked first is normally the strongest, the fittest, they're the biggest, they're the best at sport. And so they get, that's why they get chosen first. And so the two captains are standing there and the very first person that gets chosen would be like the most secure person in the world. They're like, I'm number one. I mean, imagine if you were the number one guy. When you're around the middle, you know, you feel like you're doing okay. You're like, well, I'm not at the front, but I don't think I'm gonna be last. Have you, if you ever get chosen last, there's, there's no winning there. You literally feel like you didn't even choose me. You just had to have me on your team. So I, that's why I'm coming to your team. And that's the enthusiasm at the end. It's like, yeah, and, all right, you're with us. You know, it's kind of how it feels, you know. It's, and that person always feels pretty bad. But the guy who got number one, the number one draft, he is the person that, that would feel on top of the world. Now, imagine if you were the number one person chosen in your class in sport that day. You'd feel pretty good about that. Imagine if they had the whole school together and they, they got all the people and they came together and they said, all right, you can choose anyone from the school and whoever was the number one pick from the entire school. Imagine if you were chosen out of your whole school, I don't know, like a thousand people and you're like, I'm number one out of a thousand people. You would feel pretty good. Imagine if you were the number one person in your state, or imagine if you were the number, like the number one NBA draft. Thousands of people, you know, or number one AFL draft, thousands of people, and you're like the number one pick. And you would think that the guy who gets chosen from among everyone else would be the most secure person. Did you know that King Saul was the number one pick? He was the number one guy. And I say that he was picked, he was actually handpicked by God himself. Do you know that most of the way that people become king is that if your dad was the king and you're the son, then you become the king. But Israel didn't always have a king. In fact, they just had judges. God wanted to do it differently. God said, well, I've got an idea. How about, oh, Israel, you guys are gonna love this. How about I be your king? And Israel are like, that is a terrible idea, God. We don't want to, we want to be like everyone else. Would you just give us like a normal king? Can we just be like a normal people? And he says, all right, well, you know, if that's what you want. So now he's got to pick somebody. Who's he going to pick? He picks Saul from all the people of Israel, from the whole tribe of Israel. He picks Saul. Saul is the number one guy. You would think that he would be the most confident the most secure, why? God chose him above everybody else. He would be the most confident, the most secure guy on the planet. But do you know that when it came time for them to present Saul to the people, like no one could find him. It came time to present him to all the people and they were like, has anybody seen Saul? It's like, no, well, you know, we, here we are. We've, we've got to present him. Someone... Come on, get to work, people. Somebody go find Saul. So I was like, I found him. Where was he? Well, he was hiding in the baggage area. Well, what the heck is he doing back there? We spoke to him and he doesn't feel like he's the guy. What are you talking about? He was handpicked by God. Don't you think that God knows best? I mean, literally, he had a conversation with the prophet Samuel and Samuel says, I spoke to God and he told me that you're the guy. So you're the guy. Saul's like, I'm not the guy. It's like, you're the guy. No, 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 no. no. I am not the guy. Saul, you're the guy. Just get over it. You, you are the guy. But he's got a voice in the back of his head and that voice is going, you're not the guy. He's like, I know that. I'm trying to tell these people. They just won't listen to me. He's like, I'm not the guy. Do you know why he says he's not the guy? Because he's probably really aware of all the stuff that's in his life. 
Saul is acutely aware of some of the issues that he has. And he hears this negative voice in the back of his mind. And he's saying to him, you just got to give up. You got to walk away. You are not the guy. Can I tell you that when God chooses you and you think he's made the wrong decision, it's because you're measuring something that he is not measuring. You get me? When God comes to you and says, you're the guy, you're the person, you're the one that I'm choosing, and you're like, no, 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 I'm not the guy. Right then, you've, you've measured something. You measured yourself in some way. But when you do that, you have no idea what God is willing to do with your life. You have no idea the measure of grace that God is willing to pour out in your life. You have no idea the amount of people that He's going to bring around you. You have no idea the wisdom that He's going to bestow on you. You have no idea about the resource that He'll make available to you. You have no idea about the mentors that He's going to put in your life. You just have no idea. So when you think that God has chosen the wrong guy and you're like, I'm not the guy, you just got to stick with what God says. But Saul, man, he just couldn't do it. And he, he couldn't figure it out. Israel, the king of Israel, here he is, the number one draft pick, and he has one really important job. You see, the way that God would work on the earth is he'd choose his people, and then he would work through his people to administer whatever he wanted to on the planet. So if God wanted to bless a people group, he would work through Israel to bless those people group. If he wanted to, you know, uh, go to war with someone and, and, and take people out and sort of judge what they had been doing, he would use the people of Israel. So you've got to understand something. It is so important for the king to do one thing, to listen to what God says and to obey it and to just begin to carry it out, to bring God's reign on the earth. And God says, I, I got one job for you. And it wasn't even cryptic. He said, just, just, Take everyone out. Just begin, like, it's not hard. It's like, he didn't have to, he's like, what do you really mean by that? I mean, what is that? It's not hard. It's like, just, just sort of take everyone out. But he didn't do it. He spared the best sheep. He spared the best oxen. And he left the king alive. Do you know that um, the way that this is written in, in chapter 14 of First Samuel, it's like the summary of Saul's life. And it's kind of weird because when you read a story, when you get a story, when you watch a movie, don't you watch normally beginning, middle, and then end? Well, in this, it's kind of different because the way that they wrote it, they wrote it beginning, end, middle. And it's like, why did you begin to summarize Saul's life in that chapter 14, and then you just take this part that's in the middle and you write chapter 15. If you ask me, I'd say it's out of order. But if you read what scholars say about this passage, they say that actually chapter 15 was written because this, chapter 15, defined his kingship. This defined his rule, what he did. So they tell this one story to kind of sum Saul up after they talk about the end of his life. And if you understand anything that the text says, it's pretty clear and explicit in the sense that it says, man, he just failed. King Saul, he failed. I don't know if you're aware of this, but sin, which means to really go against whatever God has for you, to just do the opposite of what God wants for you, sin actually comes in two categories. Most people think it's just something when you do bad stuff. That's, that's actually not it. There is a sin of commission where you do something that's wrong. And then there is a sin of omission when you should have done something, but you didn't do it. And God looks at that. He says, I asked you to do something and you didn't do it. That's the sin of omission. And Saul, I mean, he was a classic for this and he failed for one reason. Just for one reason. And this reason, the reason that he failed Whatever this was, it was worth losing his kingship. This reason why Saul failed, this number one reason, this was worth everything to him. I mean, he, 
This thing, whatever this thing is, this reason why he failed, he valued this above everything else. It was so important to him that he would lose his kingship. I mean, literally, it was like when Saul made this decision, his son, Jonathan, couldn't inherit the kingdom. So his entire family line was affected by this one decision. This one thing was so outrageously important to him that he lost prominence, even power. He lost money and he lost it all for this one reason. You ready for this? All right, Vin's ready. I'll just right here for you, man. He failed for one reason because he feared the people and he measured himself by their opinions. Their opinion of him was so important that he valued what people thought of him above what God asked him. People's opinion, what they would think about him was so crucial. The guy that has everything but he needed this more than anything. He just needed people to affirm him. He needed people to be okay with him. He needed that so badly. This is what he says in verse 24. He says, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, Samuel, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. He's got God that's asking him to do something, but who does he obey? He obeys the voice of the people. That's like when I say to Isaac, who are you listening to? He's like, I listen to Judah. I'm like, don't listen to him. I'm your father. My opinion matters. Listen to me. God's saying the same thing to Saul. He says, hey, Saul, I'm God. They're not. Why would you obey them? You need to listen to me. The problem was, was that God's affirmation of who Saul was, God wasn't enough for him. He wasn't he wasn't enough because up until this moment, he had everything that God could possibly give him, but it's still, oh man, it still wasn't enough. He needed just one more thing. One thing that he valued above God was the opinions of people. I know that God is not enough for you when you value people's opinions above his. When you care more about what people say than what God says, that tells me one thing, that you value them above him and you got everything mixed up and out of order. So I'm driving home the other night and I'm coming home with my son Judah. He's in the car, coming home from Ozkick. And we're just talking about skills and talents and abilities. And I was just thinking about all the things that God made Judah for. I said, Judah, I've got an awesome idea. And he said, what's that? I said, I think you should learn a musical instrument. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, why would you say that? I said, I don't know. I just think that you're going to be really good at it. I just want you to learn a musical instrument. He said, Dad, do you learn? Did you do musical instruments? Did you, I mean, can you play anything? I said, no way, mate. I said, if you have any skill in that area, it comes from your mother. Because I have no, I mean, literally no skill. When I clap in time, I celebrate. Okay, so I know that I can't do anything you get in that area. It's completely from Sarah. It's not from me at all. And I said, but I think that you should play drums because I, I don't know, I just think that you're going to be really good at it. He said, yeah, well, maybe, Dad, maybe I will do that. I said, awesome. I said, I got a second idea. This one's even cooler. He said, what is it? I said, when you learn how to play drums really well, you should play in church. You should, I mean, you should play in church, you know, in the church band, right? He said, oh, no, 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 Dad, I could never do that. I would never do that. No, 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 no. I said, why would you not do that? He said, oh, Dad, I would be so nervous. I said, what are you nervous about? He goes, oh, well, I get nervous if I have to get up in front of a crowd of people. I said, well, don't worry about that, mate. I said, people get nervous about that all the time, but don't let that stop you. He goes, dad, I just, I'm telling you, I just couldn't do it. I said, well, what's at, at the heart of it all, you know, what is really the problem here? And he says, well, dad, I could make a mistake. I said, yeah. He said, well, yeah, I mean, could make a mistake. I said, I know, we, we just did this. I mean, what's, what's your problem? And he said, well, I don't want to make a mistake. I said, all right, well, I said, what if it was okay to make a mistake? What if you made a mistake and everyone was cool with it and no one worried about it? What, what, I mean, if that was the thing and nobody said anything to you, 
would you then get up and play the drums? He said, no, Dad, I'm not playing the drums. Would you just get over this? I'm like, all right, all right, fine, fine. I'll just drop the, the whole thing together. But when I really pressed him and I asked him why he wouldn't play, it's because he was worried about what people would think of him if he made the mistake. It's not actually the mistake that he was worried about. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake in private, right? But when you make a mistake in public, what's the issue? I'm worried about what people will think of me. And being worried about what people think of you, being consumed with that, man, this, this like strains people's gifts and talents and abilities. Do you know, can I tell you something? This is crazy. I didn't say this this morning, but I remember I had a conversation with a young adult. I don't even remember who this was. You might be here right now, but don't respond like this was you, all right? I had a conversation with a young adult and, and I said, well, why don't you just pick up the phone and, and call that person? They said, no, we don't. we're young adults. We don't, we don't call people. I said, what are you talking about? You don't call people. They said, no, no, we don't call. We text. I said, why, would you, why don't you just pick up the phone call? You could solve this problem in two seconds. They said, no, 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 we like to text. Why? Well, then I can think about my response. Why would you need to think about your response? Why couldn't you just call them? And they said, well, if I have a conversation on the phone, I mean, it's happening live. I'm like, are you serious? Of course it's live. Like, why would you need to prepare? And they go, well, I just want to think through my response. I want to make sure that what I say is okay. Why? Because I want to make sure that I control the outcome. I want to make sure that I'm okay with what happens at the end. I could say something that I regret. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this really what we're dealing with? Are you seriously that worried about what people think that you won't pick up the phone to answer the phone, to have a live conversation? You got to control your response so that you can make sure that you don't look silly or say something dumb. I mean, really, is this where we're at? I'm like, this is crazy. Why are we so worried about what other people are gonna think about us? Do you know in life, I feel like so often you're playing to the crowd. You're playing to the crowd when really in life, you're supposed to be playing to an audience of one. Just one, <laughs> just one. And we're so preoccupied with what people might say, with the opinions of other people. We're so concerned about what they will think about us that we play our lives as if it matters to them. Instead of that, we should be saying, I'm just here to play for an audience of one. As I begin to work my life out and make mistakes and I'm cool with that and it's okay, I'm doing this for an audience of one and I'm not gonna worry about what everyone else thinks. But if you can't do that, because if his opinion is not the one that matters most to you, then you will simply shift and you'll move to whose opinion is next. You'll move to the person who's next in line, whose opinion really matters most and their opinion of you and the fear of what people might think will begin to control the decisions you make in your life. It will begin to control your outcomes. It will determine what you say yes to. It determines what you say no to. Man, I was watching this uh, movie, the, you know the Lego movie? One of the best parts about being a dad is you can watch kids' movies and it's totally cool. You can go and watch it. And I love watching the kids' movies. And so I'm watching this movie the other night, the Lego movie. And in the Lego movie, they've got this guy, Emmett, who's the main character. And he gets the piece of resistance that's glued to his back. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not even going to explain it to you. I don't care if, you know, you just got to go watch the movie, all right? But he's got the piece of resistance that's glued to his back. And he is supposedly, he is meant to be the chosen one. He's meant to be the chosen one. And so this, this girl comes along and she says, I think that you're the chosen one. And he sees her and she, he thinks, man, this, this chick is all right. He's like, babe, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Yeah, I'm the chosen one, whatever you need, you know? And he's do, he, what, what's he doing right now? He's pretending to be something that he's not to impress a person he just met. <laughs> People do that all the time. They pretend to be something they're not to impress someone whose opinion may not even really matter. 
if you grew up and you had really overcritical parents, it's like nothing was ever good enough for them. You bring home an A, they say, where's the plus? You're the runner up to the MVP. And they say, well, why didn't you win? It's like everything that you do, you're not quite good enough. Now what happens? Now your goals become not about exploring who you are as a person, they're more about impressing the people whose opinion matters to you most. And if you grew up with something like that, do you know what begins to happen? You start to live in such a way that it, it, it deforms you in the way that now people in a position of authority, now their opinion matters most to you. So the things that you say yes to, the things that you say no to, how you act, how you behave, it's all to impress someone whose opinion matters to you most. Do you know if you went to high school and if you were bullied and you really went through it and it was, life was hard for you and life was tough for you, you learned something out of that experience. And what you learned is that rather than getting bullied, it's just to blend in, to behave and to be like everyone else. And this is what happens, especially in high school. This happens to teenagers everywhere. They say, I'm going to fit in rather than stand out. I need to be like everyone else because if I stand out, everyone will see that. And if they see that, I'm going to be different. I don't want to be different because I'm going to be judged. So what people do is they let go of their values. Come on. You're a teenager in school. You grew up. You knew what to do. You knew what not to do. And yet when you got around these people that you were trying to impress, you suddenly let go of your values. You let go of the things that your mum taught you when you were growing up. You start to embrace some other kind of style of living because it's so important that you just fit in. You just got to look like everyone else to avoid being bullied all over again. Why? Why? Simply to impress people who, at the end of the day, whose opinion really doesn't matter. And I kind of feel like if you have to change who you are to fit in with people that you're trying to impress and you just met them, you are making all kinds of wrong mistakes right there. You shouldn't have to drop your values and change and, and go after that. Have you ever considered that really maybe in life, the truth is, is that you're just trying to impress the wrong people and instead of the right ones? The same thing happened for Saul. The king chosen from among everyone, the number one pick. Here he is chosen. He is anointed. He has been endowed with special divine favor to break through situations and circumstances as king. Anointed, appointed by God in the sight of everyone. And yet in, in, in his own eyes, he says that he's little. And yet despite that he was little, I'm telling you right now, physically, man, he was hot. Yeah. He was strapped. He had big pecs and big biceps. He was muscular. You read what the Bible says. It says that he was a handsome man. He stood above everyone else. He was taller than everyone. I mean, he was the number one pick. When, they, when the two school captains were choosing, the sports captains are choosing who goes on the team, Saul would be the number one guy. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic, he's chosen by God, he's got everything. Looks, money, wealth, position, authority, power, dominion, all the rest of it. And despite the fact that he had all of that, he had one main problem, which was that God's opinion of who he was was simply not enough for him. So he craved the opinions of other people. Craved it. You know, this wasn't just this one episode of his life. Do you know in chapter 13, two chapters before this, you read the exact same story. Saul had to uh, present an offering to the Lord. And what would happen is, is that the prophet Samuel would present the offering. And so Samuel said, I will come in seven days and I will perform this offering. So Saul begins to wait for him. But seven days pass. And you know what the Bible says? It says the people started to scatter from, from Saul. They started to leave him. He said, this party is starting to die. I've got to do something to resurrect this party. I've got to you know, keep everyone at my party. Why? Because it matters to me. It says the people started to scatter from him. So you know what he did? This is crazy. He says, you know what? Sam's late. I'm going to do it. They're like, are you serious? I don't know if you can do this. He's like, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to do the sacrifice. Bring me the things that we're going to sacrifice. Come on, let's go. Let's go, people. Why? We got to keep the people here. They're going to leave me. 
he does the sacrifice. The prophet Samuel shows up and he says to him, are you serious? What were you thinking, Saul? And Saul says, you know, you weren't here and the people were leaving me. So, well, Sam, I had to do something to get them to stay. I don't like people leaving me. Makes me feel insecure about who I am. I'm the king. People shouldn't leave me. Can you imagine if this guy had a Facebook page? He would be a basket case. Literally, he would post something and he would keep checking it to see how many likes. Like every two minutes, he's like, how many likes are we at? He's like, there's 2.3 million people in Israel. He's like, only 1.9 million people have liked my post. What is wrong with this? Somebody do something about this. He'd be freaking out, man. You know why? Because it's so important to him that people like him so important to him that he has the affirmation of people. He craves it to the point that he would be disobedient and not listen to God, do whatever he could do just to keep people to stay. Do you know as a result of that disobedience, it says his kingship was torn away. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how many people would have their ministry torn away because they were so concerned about what people thought about them, that they didn't do what God had told them to do. They were so worried about what people would say if they found out what they were trying to do, born out of insecurity that they have just never attempted to do that thing that they felt God has put on their heart. I thought, I wonder how many opportunities have been ripped out of the hands of people that God would bless and, and, and help I mean, it's literally like God has chosen some people and they're saying, I don't think I can do this. You have no idea what God is gonna place around you to help you do the thing that you're supposed to do. But you wouldn't even hear that because you're so preoccupied with the opinions of other people that literally you've just laid down and said, nah, forget it. I give up, I'm not doing this. Man, I met with a pastor recently. I had this guy, he came and sat in my office and this guy is, he is a legend. He is so good. He's a fantastic pastor and an opportunity came up for him recently and we were sitting down and talking about it. And he said to me, I'm thinking about doing this. I said, you're gonna be great at that. He said, yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure. He said, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty afraid. I said, well, what are you afraid of? He said, I'm afraid of making a mistake. And I said, just like my conversation with Judah. I said, oh, you're afraid of making a mistake. He said, yeah. What if I step out into this opportunity and I'm not very good at it? I said, yeah, but what if you're really good at it? He said, yeah, I know, but I could make a mistake. I said, yeah. <laughs> and what's the problem with that? He said, well, everyone would see. I said, so it would be very public, this mistake, if you make it. He says, yeah, I mean, if I'm no good at this, everyone's gonna know that I'm not really good. And I said, and? He said, well, I'm worried about what people might think about me. I said, so really the issue here is, is that you don't wanna fail because of your pride, because you're worried about what people might think about you. He said, well, yeah, why did you have to put it like that? I said, yeah, but what did God say to you? He says, yeah, all right. It's exactly why the prophet Samuel says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice is what you make when you've made mistakes and you have to make a sacrifice to God. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice is like saying sorry. And you can wake up every day and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And instead of doing that, you could just be obedient. But you're so worried about the opinions of others that you'll live a life of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man, my kids are exactly like that, I gotta tell you. I talk to my kids and I say to them, what are you doing? They're doing something crazy. I said, what are you doing? They're like, I'm sorry. I'll walk away. I'll come back five minutes later. I'm like, you were just doing the thing we spoke about. They're like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, enough. I'm like, Samuel, stop, 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 stop. Stop saying sorry. Like literally, you say sorry so often, I feel like the word has lost all meaning to you. Like you don't even know what it means anymore. You are always saying sorry. I don't want to hear sorry anymore. I just want you to do what I'm asking. And I feel like God says that kind of thing to us all the time, doesn't He? Stop saying sorry 
just start doing what I've asked you to do. Do you know that you can live without sorry if you're just obedient today? Tomorrow, you don't have to go, I'm sorry if you're just obedient today. Do you know why this is so important? Because sorry is something that's locked in history. I mean, you only ever say sorry when you have done something that you wish you didn't do, which is why you say sorry, or you didn't do something that you were supposed to do, which is why you say sorry, but you can avoid it all if you just do what God says. But to do what God says, you have to believe one thing. You must believe that God is enough for you. I mean, He he has to be enough for you. You should be able to walk through failure and emerge with your soul and your spirit intact. Why? Because who God says you are, that's enough for you. But I'll tell you something right now. If God's promises are not enough for you, then you're always gonna be freaking out about tomorrow but that time is coming, but that deadline is moving soon. And then they said, do you know what they said that we're gonna do? And now it's the time is getting close. And do you know when that bill is due and I'm I'm kinda, I'm freaking out because you can't rest in the promises of God. Why? Because He's not enough for you. His Word is not enough for you. It's not enough to convince you. It's not enough to calm you. But you know what the Bible says about this? In fact, this is what Jesus said. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Man, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. So just relax in the promises of God and you can if He's enough for you, but if He's not, you're gonna spend all your time freaking out. If God's praise is not enough for you, His affirmation of who you are, your identity, who you are, is liable to be taken from you at any moment. You're gonna be so worried and so susceptible to the labels that people will put on your life. You'll be so worried about what people say about you that you'll start to live your life in the most bizarre and strange way. Why? Because you're afraid of the opinions of others. This is what happened to Saul. This is what drove Saul to the point where he was willing to lose everything. Why? He had a fear of the opinions of people. The Bible calls that a fear of men. And it says that if you ever fall into the trap of having a fear of men, it's like a snare. You start to live your life in such a way that you think that things are going okay, it traps you. He says, you know what? Instead of living life that way, what you should do is just trust in the Lord. Just trust in God. Come on. Just put your trust in Him. I tell you, if God's grace is not enough, you're really going to be worried. If God's grace is not enough for you, you will live a life where you are continually working to stay in His good books. Have you ever done something and immediately you felt like God ran a million miles from you because you did something wrong? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe the season, where you are perpetually saying, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit this, but I'm really struggling with it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you don't understand the grace of God, you're gonna think that every time you have to say sorry, He's running a million miles. Let me tell you what the Bible says. (laughs) The Bible says that Jesus made a promise that He would never leave you and that He would never forsake you. And there have been times where you have tried to leave Him, but He said that He'd never leave you. So even when you mess it up, He's gonna stick with you. Why? Because He's a man of His Word. Because that's what He does. That's His value. That's what's important to Him. But if you don't get this, you're gonna always be saying sorry. You're gonna work so hard to try to feel the love of God. But you should know right now tonight that it will never be enough. In fact, you will never be enough. That's why you need the grace of God in your life. King Saul, he didn't understand this. He didn't understand any of these points. He didn't understand the grace of God would be over him. That's why he was so aware of his insecurities and he thought he was the wrong guy. He didn't understand how to receive affirmation from God. So he was always begging for the opinions and the approval of people. And he didn't trust in the promises of God that God was able to do something amazing with him. So he's always trying to control his future and freaking out about tomorrow. But he could have avoided all of that and kept his kingship had he not worried so much simply because God was not enough for him. This kind of thing, man, 
it ruins people's lives. I mean, it just messes them all up on the inside. But I've got to tell you something tonight. And if you walk away tonight hearing one thing, one sentence, this has got to be it. God is totally and utterly enough for you. Totally, utterly enough for you. And you're here tonight and you're like, but you don't know the things that are in here. I am acutely aware of my sin. I'm acutely aware of the things that I've been doing. I'm so aware of this. And He says, you know what? It's okay, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. If you're gonna boast about anything, it should be like, man, I don't know how I got here. It's just the grace of God in my life. If you can learn to do that, but you gotta know, you gotta trust, you gotta believe that He is totally and utterly enough for you. His promises, eternal. His praise and His affirmation makes you secure and His grace is overkill. Oh man, it's overkill. His grace for you, it's like taking all the water in all the ocean, in all the earth and pouring it on a match. It is overkill. So much more than you need. And you say, yeah, but I got these issues. It's cool. Do you know what really happened when Jesus died for you? Because if you don't know what really happened, you're going to completely misunderstand this whole thing. You're not going to get this. Man, when Jesus died for you, He took all of your sin. He nailed it to the cross. And then He took all the good things that were on Him and He came and He placed them on you. He clothes you in righteousness. He gives you His authority. He gives you His power. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the favour that's upon your life? And you know so many people, they say, I found God. No, you didn't. No one finds God. Where would you look? It's gotta be around here somewhere. Where would you begin to look for God? No, 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 no. The people that find God, the people that think they find God, here's what really happened. He found you and He chose you and He opened your eyes. And the moment you opened your eyes and he, the moment He opened your eyes, you thought you chose Him. You didn't. The Bible says that you only love Him because He first, what? He loved you first. He opened your eyes. He revealed who He was to you. And as a direct result of that, your life was shifted and chosen. I'm telling you tonight, God chose you. And in that, you can be totally and utterly secure in the knowledge that He is enough for you. Are you with me tonight? Yeah. Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh man, we have an awesome God. Why don't you stand to your feet right now? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.